Welcome to Lit by Moonlight, where it's not a phase to become a human sunbeam in the middle of a work trip. This week we're talking about Shadow and Bone, a young adult fantasy novel written by Lee Bradugo in 2012, which has recently been adapted into a Netflix original series. The story follows Alina Starkov, a young orphan girl working as a map maker for her country, Ravka. When Alina's unit is assigned to cross the fold, a swath of darkness that has torn the country in two, the vessel is attacked by Volkra, flesh-eating creatures that live within the fold. While saving her best friend's life, Alina unleashes a power that has unknowingly sat dormant within her, and her life, and possibly the fate of Ravka, is forever changed. Taken from her familiar life as an ordinary mapmaker, Alina is placed among Ravka's magical elite known as Grisha as she learns how to wield her power and learns she may be the one to destroy the fold for good. Hello everyone! My name is Amberlyn Leija, and I'm a silly girl who frequently forgets how old she is. <gasps> how old are you? That's a good question. Oh, she wasn't lying. And my yeah. name is Caitlin, and I hate that marshmallow is spelled with two A's. Yeah, that is a bit annoying. It should be E, marshmallow. Who says marshmallow? marshmallow. Nobody I know. DM me, I want to know, because I don't like it. <laughs> All right, so how did you first discover the Shadow and Bone series? Um, yeah, uh, I would have to defer to you on this one because <laughs> that's who I learned it from. Wow, uh, I had no idea. That's who I discovered it from. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> so uh, this summer, uh, you and I and our friend Sam, we were all hanging out together, and uh, you had brought it up. Um, I think you were... You were really into it at the time, and you were probably finishing the last two books uh, in the series. I was reading King of Scars at the time, I believe, because I remember we went out to mm. Barnes & Noble and I bought the last book. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where you were, and I was like, wow, that looks really cool, and you were like, you need to read this, so you were a real big advocate for me to go and pick it up. Um, and then, of course, I knew there was a Netflix series, but I didn't know uh, that it had a whole book based off of it. <laughs> Uh, so I was really excited to make that connection. Um, how about you? I am a little shocked that I hadn't heard of the series uh, when it first came out because I feel like 2012 was like peak YA fantasy novel time for me. Yeah. Um, mm. But I actually first heard about it from my best friend Molly last January. So it was before the series had come out on Netflix. And she was telling yeah. me that they were adapting it into a show. And she's like, Ben Barnes from Narnia is in it. And I was like, say less. I'm interested, <laughs> and so for as a birthday present to her, I read the um, whole series uh, for her, for at least like the trilogy, and mm. uh, immediately I was sucked in. I thought it was awesome, fell in love with it, read all of the books, immediately became obsessed, and then got everybody within my vicinity to read it. Um, that includes you, my dad, yeah. my aunt, and another friend, so... <laughs> Uh, I'm doing great, I think. <laughs> yeah, you've really been, like, pushing us and motivating us to do this. You are um, not immune to the Grishaverse, if you know me. Yeah, Caitlin basically uh, established a whole cult of people who've read these books, so... <laughs> You're welcome, um, Lee. <laughs> that is her power. Yes. Um, that's the power she possesses. Um, so, Caitlin, in this book, what did you think of the world building? I thought it was awesome. Like, 
Uh, I immediately one of my favorite things about the series was the mix of both the magical powers and like the standard weapons that are used by soldiers. I feel like most fantasy mm-hmm. is all magic or nothing, so it's really cool to see them mix. And of course, with both like the magical and the non-magical people, there becomes like this tension between both of the armies, despite them fighting for the same country. Uh, the first army, which are the ordinary soldiers, like they don't necessarily trust or even like the second army, which is made up of the Grisha, which is like the magical elite um, of this world. And you can kind of feel that everyone was on edge in the very beginning, which was pretty cool, um, having barely explored the world yet. And I just I feel like um, Lee is so good at imagery because yeah. whenever I'm reading it, even like this time through, like it was my second time reading it, and I was still like sucked into the world, and like I was no longer in my living room. I'm in Ravka, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, in chapter two, they enter the fold, and um, immediately like you're there. Uh, there's a quote. It was like standing at the end of everything. I held tight to the railing, feeling the wood dig into my hand, grateful for its solidity, and like everything is like super still and quiet. Uh, another quote from page 30, we waited listening to the sound of wings beating the air, growing louder as they drew nearer, like the drums of an oncoming army. And it was just, it was so good. I could like feel the tension again mm-hmm. and just like, you could also hear the silence, which sounds crazy hearing silence, but like yeah. you could feel it. And uh, I, I just really liked it. And that was only chapter two. And I was like, okay, I'm in, let's go. So I, and I also just like love how quickly shit starts going down. Uh, Lee never <laughs> wastes time to get the plot moving, and I appreciate that. So, how about yeah. you? What did you think? Yeah, it was kind of the same thing for me. I just feel like she does a really good job of creating imagery that makes you feel like you're literally inside the pages of the book, um, walking around. And I really, really love that about I think this book and then every book that she writes after that. Um, I also really appreciate her attention to detail. Uh, when I opened it up, there was a map and I was like, (laughs) oh, fuck yeah. Like, um, I, I, I just love books with maps. I know you do too. We're, we're on this, we, we are big, uh, books with maps. Love a good map. Yeah. Love a good map in a good book. Um, so when I saw that, I was really excited. Um, it just felt like there was so much detail and diversity in all of the settings that, uh, Lee created uh, to tell her story um, from the fold uh, to Alskurovo to Alsalta, um, the Grand Palace, the Little Palace, the Orphanage, uh, Bagra's Hut, just all of these places I felt had so much character uh, and, and it made me feel like I was in them. Um, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever seen those ASMR YouTube videos that are like ambience, like story, oh. like library ambience. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> like um cabin in the woods ambience like these books i feel like they just radiate ambience like i'm sure i'm sure there's like a youtube video being like the little palace ambience (laughs) the little palace ambience i'm going to find it and i will link it in the episode description if i do so um i really love that um and i also really uh love what she's done with the people in her book the characters that she's created i think the concept of the grisha uh well first i think it's a very common trope um, for people to be sorted in young adult books, like Districts in the Hunger Games, Houses in Harry Potter, Vampires and Werewolves in Twilight. 
Um, so when I learned about the segmenting of society in Ravka, I was like, like, here we go again, like another one of these books. <laughs> uh, but then I really ended up appreciating um, down the line the introduction, the introduction of all of these really complex lenses through which the Grisha are perceived internationally as soldiers and as economic assets and as tools for securing power as objects and unfortunately, uh, very rarely as human beings. Uh, mm. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, also, the costuming, phenomenal. Iconic. Fantastic. Um, like, there's just something so like satisfying about the kefta uh, as an indicator of rank and power and the distinction of colors uh, for your type of power. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, uh, reading it immediately, was like, hmm, what Kepta would I wear? Which is always fun, I feel like, with <laughs> fantasy. Like, it's like, which one will I fit into? It's just fun to think about. Yes. Uh, yes. So let's jump right into our two peaks in a valley. What was your first peak of Shadow and Bone? Oh, I mean, I love the strong female leads and um, additional characters in this book. Um, I love Jenya and Alina. And Zoya, I know Zoya, uh, sidebar, is kind of uh, a one-dimensional character in this book, but she, Girls Got Dimension later on. Like, keep reading Girls Got Dimension. That's that's my mantra for this book. I, um, I'm staying quiet because if I open my mouth on Zoya, I will not shut up. I adore her. The end. Yeah, she's, she's endgame. Um, I, I like that each character kind of had their very own rich backstory and personality, um, particularly in the later books. And I just really enjoy when there's not one-dimensional female characters. Um, and yeah, I, I, everything about Alina and Jenny, especially in this book, is so fascinating. Um, the way that they, the way that they conduct themselves in the little palace because of the different power imbalances in their lives is really fascinating. Um, what about you? What was your first peak? Um, my first peak was that it was the second time I read it and I knew how the story ended, but I still literally could not put the book down. And again, <laughs> like I said, Lee Bardugo's imagery has just mm-hmm. such a fantastic way of sucking you into her world that I never wanted to leave it. Like I, mm. I, I, I still don't. I essentially picked up the book last March and never put it down. I Aww. adore this world. I adore this series so much. It made me like when I finished this for the second time. It made me want to immediately start the next book, Siege and Storm, again because I'm like, oh well, here I am. I need to know what happens next. Again, yeah. I read all seven books. They're all so good. And I I just, I think it says something when an author can create a world that is so memorable and that you're able to learn inside and out. Like, I feel like I could, like, walk the streets of some yeah. of the places and, like, just travel in this world and be like, I, I know exactly where I'm going. I know what country I'm in. I know what city I'm in. And I just, I think that's... It says something to her writing ability, and I I can't say more amazing things about it. She's it's just incredible. So I loved it. Yes, I second everything you said. <laughs> um, I, I honestly think it's it's it would be fair to say that this book is kind of the blueprint for why we're here today talking to you about books. I feel like when I read this series and I was sharing my thoughts about it with Caitlin, um, we really enjoyed just being able to spend time talking about a book together that we loved so much. 
Um, and I think that's kind of what brought us here to do this podcast. It really um, did. <laughs> so thank you, Libra Dugo, for inspiring us to be here right now. Thanks. And um, thank you for this wonderful book. Uh, so what was your second peak? Um, yeah, going off of what you were saying, um, I really love books where it feels like you can kind of walk through every single uh, place in the book as you're reading and feel like you know exactly where you are. Um, and I especially want younger people to have that experience. Um, I think it's really important to keep your imagination as you get older. And personally, when I was reading this book, I felt like this book brought back a lot of my, um, not childhood innocence, but just like the light in my eyes to be able to read something that has so much magic and like such cohesive world building in it was just wonderful because it was like, oh, I feel like a kid again reading this. Um, so on that note great book for young readers. Um, I think it serves as a worthy alternative to other magical unnamed books. And yes, that's a read. Um, and I would just really recommend it to anybody who's in high school, um, or even middle school and is just, you know, turning into a young adult and looking for something that has a really diverse set of characters and also a very cohesive and thoughtful storyline and beautiful world building. Um, that was my second, uh, peak. How about you? Uh, mine was that this was the book that got me back into reading. So like going off of your point, like this is a really great book for younger readers. I would also have to agree that it's a great book for like if you're like us in our 20s or even older because <laughs> I was in uh, like two plus year reading slump because, you know, college. And um, I used to read all the time as a kid I always had a book in my hand and I really missed reading and I picked this book up and I like like never I never stopped reading after this book I read this entire series this was since last March was when I first read this book so I have been consistently reading a book since then and so it's been over a year now which is really great and I feel like it's such an easy read too and not saying that like it's super it's a simple story because it's you know it's got its twists and turns and everything but mm -hmm. it's a really quick read if you want to try to get back into reading especially if you like fantasy like I feel like it's a really good starting point um yeah. so I cannot recommend it enough if one you like fantasy two you like reading three you just need to read this book I love it <laughs> so on that positive note what was a valley you might have had while reading this a valley um, <laughs> yeah uh for me it was just that there were some times where I definitely got the sense that this was a book uh that was kind of a work in progress uh because of some of the tropes uh love triangles wanting love interest man child girl with low self-esteem I feel like that doesn't like to me, that makes sense because at the time when Lee wrote this, it was 2013. It was just kind of a different era for young adult literature. Yeah. Um, so she was probably kind of following the footsteps of people like uh, Stephanie Meyer and um, Joanne Rowling that um, had kind of a predefined makeup for how a fantasy book should go, who should be in it, what they should do, who they should love. Um, and I like that as she matures as a writer, uh, in later books, she kind of breaks away from those tropes. And I think you kind of hear more of her natural voice start to come in, Lee Verdugo's that is. Um, 
but you won't see that so much with this first book, um, I think simply because of the time it was written in. Not to say 2013 was eons ago, but that I think that the um, what we expect from young adult books and um, what we hope for when we want to see ourselves in those books, uh, I think that um, there are a lot more people writing a lot more unique stories uh, that capture those needs that we have um, that weren't able to do that uh, back in 2013, if that makes sense. No, that makes um, sense, yeah. So that was mine, um, but I want to hear yours. Um, kind of similar uh, as far as, like, the writing goes. Uh, I felt like it was limited, and again, this is from... This book is told through Alina's point of view, so it's first-person point of view, and maybe it's just because I have read her later books now where you do get the multiple point of views from all these different characters, which I... Is it's a personal uh, love of mine. Like I love being able to see different sides of it, and so yeah, rereading this, I wanted to have more time with Jenya, have more time with Zoya or David or Nadia, Marie. Like I wanted to know more, and I feel like some of the side characters, uh, they're just there. Like Zoya uh-huh. in this book was literally just a bitchy mean girl. Yeah. And Marie and Nadia were just there to gossip. And I really wanted to have more from them. And um, again, this is just going off of this first book. The, some of these characters get way more fleshed out later on. But like, I feel like uh, this, like you said, it was kind of like a work in progress or like Lee was just finding her writing style or her voice um yeah but selfishly I did want more time with these side characters so if if you want to say that's a valley that would be a valley for me (laughs) (laughs) was there a specific moment in this book that hooked you so I said this earlier but I think it bears repeating uh when I saw the map I was very much in it um love love me a good map it's a good map too it's a lovely map um and I just think an author that's going to include a map in their book, they're being very thoughtful about the world that they're building. Um, and I could really sense that when I saw the map. Also, uh, just picking the book off up from uh, the bookstore, uh, the special edition copy that I was reading is everything. It's so pretty. It's golden. If you take it out in public, I can guarantee people are going to be looking at it and thinking, what is, what is she reading? What are they reading? That's very nice and want to read it too um it's just beautiful it's got gold on it it's got silver on it it shines in the sunlight um it made me feel like a fancy uh woman from the regency era reading (laughs) it um just loved it so much how about you um very specifically what hooked me was chapter 15 um like before I, I was in this world beforehand I was enjoying myself but this is the chapter where I could no longer put the book down and if I had to I was very angry about it because I needed to know what happened next again I'm reading this book I am not sitting here reading it in a living room I am in a forest and I can't close the book because then I'm stuck in the forest and I don't know what's gonna happen next so <laughs> um so chapter 15 it's after like Alina had her demonstration of her power at the winter fate she's finally feeling some sense of belonging she's made out with a darkling at least twice by this point and I'm mm-hmm. like do I like this but then <laughs> in this chapter it, Bagra shows up out of nowhere at, at Alina's door 
and tells her that she needs to leave the palace grounds immediately. She's in danger, and it's all because the Darkling isn't just actually, to quote Billie Eilish, the bad guy. Um, not that his dark <laughs> wardrobe would suggest that. But he is the Black Heretic. He's the one who created the fold, and he never intended to destroy the fold. He wants to use Alina to expand it. And I just, I needed to know... How is Alina going to get out of this? I needed to know how she was going to move forward, knowing that her entire purpose here has been a lie, and I didn't want to stop reading until I found out. That's a great hook. I feel like I might have to second that, because I feel like <laughs> that was also the moment in the book for me when things kind of turned on their heels, and I was like, wait, where are we going now? And I ended up yeah. finishing in like that same night that we got to that point, um, because I think from there, everything takes off. Yeah, it's like the moment where it's like you're just like Alina, you're you're comfortable and you're finally getting a sense of how everything works and you're like, oh, okay, here we go. And you think you know where this might st- like start going. You're like, oh, okay, we're going to go destroy the fold. And then Bagger's like, psych, bitch, let's go. <laughs> so I, I really liked it. I thought it, I, from that moment on, I would just, I lost my little mind. <laughs> so. You were like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go and go, go to wild out. Ready to go. this book. um so with that in mind did you find the darkling reveal surprising at all uh not really um i i was never like oh he's the black heretic he's actually that really old guy who created the fold years ago i i wasn't surprised that he had ulterior motives um but i wasn't completely surprised that the man dressed in all black was not good um I know. Him? Shocking. <laughs> um, what did surprise me, uh, as far as reveals go, was Bagra being his mother and yeah. trying to help Alina. Because, again, when she showed up, I was like, what are you doing here? What's going on? <laughs> and Alina thinks she's going a little crazy. And she's just like, oh, we just, you need a rest or something. You need some water. Like, we'll go to the infirmary. And I'm, and I'm reading it. I'm like, no, Alina, like, I need to hear what she has to say. Because up until this point, Bagra was just a cranky old lady. Like, one of those professors that you hated going to in school. Yeah. So, like, that's all she was. And I feel like... Bagra being the Darkling's mom added so much depth to her character like Mm. she was no longer just a cranky old woman she was an ancient woman desperate to save an entire country and another girl from her son's manipulations and she's also desperate to save her son and Bagra says to Alina it is because I love him that I will not let him put himself beyond redemption and this is I I feel for her because this is a mother who she loves him so much but also like she cannot let him win and Uh she's watched this happen for years and she's just so desperately trying to stop him and now that he might have power to become something worse she needs to stop him so I thought that was really interesting for her character um how about you did you uh did you see the darkling uh, become evil <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah, like you said, I feel like the guy that's, like, being kind of a goth is, like, probably the evil guy. Um, no, I feel like there were definitely context clues. Um, I feel like there's always little hints or, like, red herrings uh, that show you the truth about the plot of a book or movie. So, for example, in Song of Achilles, uh, which we read last week, no spoilers, we talked about uh, Achilles giving constant reassurance that he wouldn't kill Hector because Hector hasn't done anything to him. Right. <laughs> you know. What could that mean? 
what could that mean? Um, right. So it was kind of the same case here um, where it, it felt like they kept mentioning, oh, like the black heretic, he's different than this guy. Like this guy's different uh, than the black heretic. He's not the same. The Darkling is not the black heretic. And I was like, mm, you wouldn't need to tell me that if it was like, <laughs> you know, not uh, a total lie. So, um, yeah. And I also agree with you. I feel like it was definitely a shock that Bagra ended up actually like being his mom. Like talk about. I want. I would can't even call this mommy issues because I feel like she's not the problem. Talk about no. son issues, more <laughs> like it. <laughs> All right. So speaking of the Darkling, I have a controversial question. Okay. Malina or Darklina? That's controversial. Stop the press. Um. <laughs> yeah. So at the time that I read this book, um, and it really was just this book. Um, I want to emphasize that I was very team Alina should leave men alone and just be single for a while. Um, yeah. cause the darkling is literally someone's goth manipulative grandfather. Um, all love to the goth community, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he is 120 years old. Yeah. And goth. Um, <laughs> like it's just, it's out of the question for me. Like I'm not interested in that 120 year old bod bodice he's got going on there um and mal in this book explicitly uh is the equivalent of the so no head guy from vine uh (laughs) so i was just not into either of them i was i was not interested in engaging another in another love triangle young adult book um and because this book was written in 2013 i'll cut it some slack but i think I think as society, we've just moved past the place where, like, the female main character's whole existence kind of has to be dependent on the male gaze of the the two sexy men in her life. Like, <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. I mean, Jacob literally imprinted on Bella's daughter. Like, does if that didn't learn us our lesson, then what will? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what was that? What? Why? Yeah. So, um, I listened to one review. Uh, it was from Elliot Brooks on YouTube, where she mentions that she never sees the Darkling as a love interest, and I think that's a really interesting take that I want to expand on because I think the Darkling, if anything, is kind of a catalyst for Alina's low self worth. Um, you know, he easily manipulates her, and she likes the attention because she's felt so invisible most of her life. Um, but as a love interest, I, I don't really foresee myself shipping them or really being interested in it. Um, I don't see how they would even fit into, like, the enemies to lovers category, per se, because, I mean, he's just so terrible. Like, the, he, he's not somebody that I think I'd want to root for as a love interest. Um, and then to that point, I think she does spend a lot of the book, um, maybe too much of the book, commenting on, observing, judging, and focusing on everyone around her. Uh, until the very end where she starts to recognize her own power and autonomy. And I just kept thinking, like, you are just starting out. You are just figuring this out. You need to be alone. You need to work on yourself, girl. Like, she's, like, the friend who has, like, a bad ex, and she keeps going back to him. And you're like, girl, you need just to, you just need to work on you. You need to go to therapy. Like, you need to do some, like, breathing exercises. You need to get off social media. You gotta, you just gotta, like, vibe for a little bit, you know? Um... <laughs> So that's what I wanted for her. But I know that you have very strong feelings about uh, the ship wars in Chatham and Bone, Caitlin. So please tell me a little bit about how you feel about this topic. I do. I I don't want to say there's strong feelings because I'm not out here to be like, 
I'm not attacking anyone. It's just there's something I don't get. Um, uh-huh. But, like, okay, so there was a brief moment where I thought I could ship Alina with a Darkling. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, ooh, maybe this is, like... He's hot. I mean, if you just watch the show, Ben Barnes is nice. <laughs> he can get it. He can have it. He can He's get free. it. He yeah. can do whatever he wants. Love that. Totally get it. And even reading the book, you're like, yeah, okay, okay, I get it. And, like, I kind of like the whole, the light, your, like, character A is the light and character B is the dark. Like, I kind of mm. like, it's it's kind of cheesy, but, like, I, I love like it, it too. I'm here for it. I don't care. It's aesthetic. It's aesthetically pleasing. It is. But there are a few specific tropes that have me in a chokehold, and childhood friends to lovers is one of them. Oh, me too. Yeah. It is so good. So I was rooting for Mal from the beginning, even with a brief step into Darklina for like a chapter. The second Mal showed up, I was like, return of the king. Let's go. Where have you been? Explain yourself. Um, I I don't think that Mal is the best love interest ever written. Um, I do feel that there are other characters that are way more interesting than him mm-hmm. at times, um, especially if, when we get into other books, because... He's he's not perfect. However, I really don't understand the hate that this character gets. Mm. Like, I didn't know that so many people hated him until I saw stuff on Tumblr after I watched the show and people saying like, oh, they fixed Mel or they made him more likable. And I was like, but everything he does or says in the show came right from the book. So... Mm. What? Where did this come from? Why? Why do people hate so much? Right. No, that's interesting. I feel like that's something that I've heard a lot too, and um, I'm just. I guess I'm curious. Like, say more about that. Um, I'm really interested to hear your portrayal. Well, uh, of the books. Yeah, I'm. I'm again not saying he's perfect because he's not. I'm just going off of this first book, um, because he has his little shit moments, right. but. Focusing on Shadow and Bone, like one of the main arguments I keep seeing is that like Mal never accepted Alina's power, or rather he just like took a while. Um, whereas the Darkling accepted her like immediately. Hmm. Uh, one thing I just want to point out is that yeah, the Darkling accepted her power, but only because he wanted to use Alina for his own purposes and literally put a collar around her neck, taking away her control. Hmm. So. I, I don't think that's a solid point to go off of, but maybe it's just me. And and Mal was scared of the Grisha. It's not great, but he does apologize for any hurt he has caused Alina. Like, when mm. we first see Mal again at the Little Palace, he's acting like a jealous little shit because he saw Alina with a Darkling and how comfortable she must be. And he's, like, he's pissed because from his point of view... His best friend was taken away by a man who cut her to demonstrate her power. He didn't get a chance to say goodbye to her. And then he said that he heard rumors of her being tortured. He hasn't received any letters from her, which he tells her as much. He said, like, he says that he didn't receive any letters. So he has no idea what's going, actually going on. And Mm. for once, he's able to get a glimpse of her and know that she was safe. And Mal took on this mission of finding the stag because he knew it was for Alina and two of his best friends tagged along and 
he watched them get killed on that mission. And this boy has been through hell. So, yeah, I'd be in a mood, too, if I went through all that, only only to find my friend, like, acting all cozy in royalty. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I might also pop off if uh, <laughs> I was ghosted by my friend via letter writing in a wartime dystopian wizard country. That's fair. Yeah, like, it, again, when you're reading the book, you don't know that, like, because you, you're only getting um, Alina's point of view. And, of right. course, Mal doesn't actually know how much Alina has struggled at the Little Palace, because uh, when he sees her, it was when she was just finally, like, fitting in and knowing her power and being able to, like... Uh, use it herself um but what i love about mal and alina is that they actually eventually communicate with each other Um, at the end of their argument in the little palace alina says i didn't ask for any of this and he says i know you didn't and Uh later on when they're in the woods um and on the run he apologizes for what he said he says i'm sorry for what i said at the little palace and i'm sorry for everything else too and he tells her, I'm sorry it took me so long to see you, Alina, but I see you now. And I think uh-huh. the big thing for Mal and Alina is that they fell for each other, or at least they realized that they loved each other at different times. Right. And uh, Mal, he realized that he loved Alina once she was gone and not in his life any longer. He said, I missed you every hour. And you know what the worst part was? It caught me completely by surprise. And Alina, similarly... She didn't realize until he was gone for a bit, like, when they were younger. Um, It was, like, how we found out, like, how she had the scar on her hand. Um, Like, she was holding, like, a sharp piece of pottery. And when she saw him, she ran to him and hugged him and was shocked by how much she missed him. And didn't even realize that she was squeezing the pottery in her hand too tight. If any of that makes sense, Uh I could go on. But the TLDR is... I don't personally think Mal is as bad as some people say he is. He's fine. Yeah, I think this goes back to what you were mentioning earlier, that you wish that you had more time with some of the side characters in the book. And I think this is a great example of that playing out for me. Like, I would have really loved to, like, see Mal's perspective on everything that's going on um, in this book. I think that's actually something the show does really well. And maybe that's where people are like, they fixed him. Uh is like you get to see Mal's perspective and you actually get to have some empathy for him and see like the horrors that he's going through while looking for Alina. So I think maybe that's probably, I'd like to believe that that's what people get from the show that maybe they're not getting from the book is that that opportunity to be empathetic for him maybe. Yeah, and I think it's really easy to just because you're getting one perspective from a book, you're obviously going to side with that person and you're not spending time with Mal, so... Why would you? Right. You know? Right. But, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. The show the show did really well by him. Yeah, by I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they did, too. Like, he's just, like, he's a total heartthrob in the show, right? Um, I think maybe sometimes even more so than Ben Barton's. I know that's hard to <laughs> accept, but, like, he's a cutie. Like Archie Renault is very good looking. <laughs> he is. And, like, yeah, I, I think I agree with you 100%. If you were able to play a song to hype yourself up to go into the fold, uh, what would it be? Into the Thick of It by the Backyardigans. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Actually, it would be Dvorak Symphony No. 9, the fourth movement 
mm-hmm. from the New World, but specifically that remixed with My Humps by the Black Eyed Peas. Uh-huh. It is iconic. I will link it in the description because I'm afraid of copyright, but it is a joy and I highly recommend a listen. Yeah, Caitlin played it for me the other day. Um, and I I honestly don't think that I can ever listen to another song again. I think that's the only thing I can listen to until I die. It will be my wedding song. Yeah. It will be the song they play at my funeral, but like a symphonic version. Um, and that's it. That's all. Um, yeah. Mine was, and this is just because we just finished Our Flag Means Death, which is a brilliant show on HBO Max, um, which this is a plug for, even though we are not uh, paid to give you that plug. Um, HBO, please sponsor us. Please. Um, (laughs) Also, renew season two. Also, for the love of God. As of today, it is still not renewed. Why? It is so good. Uh, Go watch Our Flag Means Death. This is not an ad. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, but with that in mind, I'd say The Chain by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> <laughs> the chokehold uh, that song has on you. The chokehold that song has on us. Yes. It it keeps me awake at night. That, <laughs> my Humps remix of Dvorak's Symphony Number no. 9 Fourth Movement from The New World <laughs> and The Chain by Fleetwood Mac are the only two songs you'll be hearing at my funeral and my wedding on repeat um one after the other just back and forth until the end of both nights sometimes they Um, mix into each other sometimes they mix into (laughs) and and if you're wondering why i'm mentioning both my wedding and my funeral and no other events it's because i'm planning for them to happen one after the other in fact (laughs) i'm planning for the funeral to happen first and then the wedding so (laughs) be there be square (laughs) i look forward to it okay um do you have a favorite quote from shadow and bone um i have two uh the first and i think this goes back to the messaging that i've been giving you all all you youngins at home throughout this whole uh podcast which is like be an independent woman you can do this um and that's this uh, the stag had been showing me my strength, not just the price of mercy, but the power it bestowed. And mercy was something the darkling would never understand. I'd spared the stag's life. The power of that life belonged to me as surely as it belonged to the man who had taken it. I love this part because this is where Elena starts to recognize that the power that she has, it doesn't belong to the darkling. It belongs to her. Um, and she finally starts to like use that power for good. Um, and use it to fight against the Darkling. And I'm so proud of her for this. Um, so when this happened in the book, I was like, yes! Yes! Like, go! You go! Like, I was so happy. Um, and my other favorite quote was, and this is just because I love conversations about men in power. Um, <laughs> why can Agrisha possess but one amplifier? I will answer this question instead. What is infinite? The universe and the greed of men. Like, that sounds like something that your philosophy professor would say. Yeah, that's um, a solid line. Before assigning you the most rigorous and upsetting exam you've ever taken. But, um, uh, yeah, it is It is indeed a solid line. Uh, yeah. How about you? Um, mine is actually from the one of the beginning chapters. Um, it's from page 82. Alina says, I looked up to the night sky. It was full of stars, but I could only see the endless reaches of darkness between them. Oof. And 
that's just from chapter five and it's from when they were like making camp for the night when they're on their way to the little palace and i really like it because again queen lee bardugo imagery Mm -hmm. queen um it just made me really feel just how lost alina must be feeling and how lonely she will feel later in the story and how usually you look up into the to the night sky and you see the stars and you see the beauty and i just how sad it must be to look up into that like the beautiful space and see nothing but darkness and loneliness and it just it it was such it was such a i don't want to say simple line but it's on the surface simple and then like you read it again and you go it just i love it when things have a really like a deeper meaning to it yeah um and just for that to reflect on Alina's character at the time, I just, I thought it was beautifully written and I, it stood out to me on both, both times I read it. It is a beautiful line. I feel like you just piqued my interest in a line that I never really would have noticed. Like it's the type of thing I think you'd read right over, uh, unless you've take, read the book a couple times or you just take right. the time to find the deeper meaning. Um, and I love it. That is a beautiful line. I'm going to add that to my list of favorites. <laughs> Um, so Caitlin, if you were a Grisha, what would you be and why? Uh, without question, I would be a healer. Um, especially if we're like taking this question, like if we still lived in our world now, Mm -hmm. um, what type of Grisha would be? I would still absolutely be a healer because I think they would come in handy the most. Um, I've also just had enough health issues lately that mm-hmm. if I were able to heal myself, it would really take care of a lot of my anxieties and issues. Yeah. Um, so that would be really nice to just like, you know, boop, pop away my back problems. Um, <laughs> and if someone around me got hurt, no problem. I got you, fam. And also right. I don't like within the Grishaverse, I don't necessarily want to be fighting a war. Um, I'm not brave enough. Uh, to be on the front lines, I will admit, and I, once again, have too many Brack problems for that. So I will just heal everyone. Uh, how about you? What would what would you be if you were a Grisha? Yeah, um, I love that we had similar answers. Well, <laughs> okay, well, no, first I said I'd want to be a sun summoner because I have seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. Um, so I need, I need all the vitamins I can get. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I also said I'd like to be a heart render. I'd like to master healing and tailoring and killing. Not that I would like kill anyone <laughs> in case in case the police are listening. For legal um, reasons, that's a joke. For legal reasons, I wouldn't kill anyone. Um, <laughs> but like for self-defense purposes, you know, like yeah. let's say we're all walking home from the club one night and like somebody comes at us, you know, I'll just like flex my fingers and they are not coming at us anymore you know yeah um and then like tailoring would save me a lot of time and money and skincare and makeup um and if I was a healer I said as well then uh Caitlin wouldn't have back problems uh so (laughs) that's my priority and that's like within this world um and I also agree with you I don't think that within the Grisha world I could be a Grisha whatsoever because it's either you're in some of the countries. Uh, that aren't Ravka, where you're potentially being uh, sold as an economic asset or oppressed. Um, And then in Ravka, I'd have to be a soldier. And the military-industrial complex does not look good on me. It's it's a no (laughs) for me. Like, I'm not interested. Um, Yeah, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Woof. (laughs) All right, so we have read the books. 
we have watched the show. How yes. do you think the show did compared to the book? It's a great adaption of the book, the show is. Uh, you can tell that there is just like a lot of care and tenderness put into the series and its characters and the world they built and the effects and the writing and just everything. Um, the casting for the show is impeccable. I feel like if you watch it, you'll think that the, the characters have just jumped right off the page. Um, the only thing that scares me is that it's on Netflix. And sometimes Netflix chooses not to renew some of its greatest series. Uh, so I really hope this show will withstand TV executive offices uh, and be able to uh, go to the end of its natural storyline and we'll be able to follow along for that. Um, yeah. How about you? I hope so. I, I really, I agree. I stand by the fact that I think the show did a fantastic job adapting the book, especially since they combined the first Shadow and Bone book with characters and elements from Six of Crows, which comes later in the Grishaverse universe. So it could have easily been a complete trash fire. And yeah. I was a little nervous after I read the Six of Crows book. I was like, how are they going to do this and not screw it up? Uh, but they did. I thought they did a really good job, especially uh, without taking away from... Uh, their characters or storyline. Um, I think the world of the Grishaverse um, was captured beautifully. A lot of it was very similar to how I pictured it. Um, the fold is so scary and cool. And uh, there's a scene, no spoilers, but you see the how the sh- the fold gets created, and it. That it st- I think about that a lot because it just stood out in my mind just seeing like this black sash just like jut across like this beautiful landscape. It was so cool and surreal looking and the f- costumes are absolutely incredible. The captas, yeah. oh my god, they're oh, they're so cool. Like the little details, like Jenya's kefta has like a sewing needle in the stitching. It's so cool and beautiful. uh it is beautiful, and again, like you said, the actors are insane. Like, a lot of them really, it's like they jumped right off the page, uh, and I feel like they really, truly embodied the character that they were playing, yeah. and you can tell that they read the books, and they care so much about their interpretation of Lee's work. Um, I know you're never going to get everything exactly like it was in the book, but I really think that the show being presented to a new audience it did a really good job of showing the world. Um, I do wish we had a little more from the Shadow yeah. Bone side, like more in-depth conversations with Bagra, more scenes with yeah. Alina being trained with Botkin, or even more between Bagra and the Darkling. And also, I was talking to my aunt about this because she had just watched Shadow Bone, and we both agreed that we really wanted Alina to do more in the end battle against the Darkling in the show. Uh-huh. Because she really didn't do too much. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, because season two is coming, uh, hopefully we'll get some more details and mm. explore more of that in season two now that the show is established. So I have hope. I I really think that they'll do really well by this show and these characters continuing forward. So that's I, I Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, no, that's my hope too. I have this like horrible image in my head of all the Netflix executives like looking at two shows and being like hmm what do we keep shadow and bone or is it cake they're both so good 
<laughs> and then like choosing the wrong one. <laughs> That's a real show, isn't it? Is it cake? Yeah, it's so weird. It's Why? so weird. It's exactly what it sounds like. Why and that's sure? it. So I feel like now that we've talked a lot about the show and some of our favorite aspects of the book, we should talk a little bit about some of our favorite characters. So Caitlin, share with me now uh, what character you would write a letter to from the Little Palace. I would write Alina a letter from the Little Palace. Honestly, like she's so funny. Um, mm-hmm. I think... That's another thing I wanted from the show. She's got this very good sense of humor, and she's so quick. Um, I just, I think we would get along just by our sense of humor alone. And Uh also, we had the same anxiety, (laughs) kind of. Um, So I feel like we would get along really well. Um, I also just really feel like she needed a friend to talk to for a lot of her time while she was at the Little Palace. So I would want to be able to keep her company so that she would feel less lonely while she was yeah. there who would yeah. you write a letter to um i said the same i said alina i, I also felt mm-hmm. like she really needed a friend um rereading this book i found myself just getting really sad about how lonely and in her head she seemed all the time um i feel like her her self-worth is a little low um but her power is so great and her personality is so great um and that's what makes her storyline so remarkable but I feel like she needed friends around her and a support system to show her that. And in yeah. the folks around her at the time in this book, I don't really feel like she had that, um, which made me sad. Yeah, poor Alina. Yeah, <laughs> she really lady. went through it. She went through it. All right, so we both adore Alina. Let's talk about the character we would never write a letter to, or maybe we would <sighs> use the cut on. Okay, uh, I don't think... <laughs> I'd go so far as to murder these two people in cold blood uh, for legal reasons. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for legal um, reasons, I would not use Grecian magic. <laughs> once again. Um, but there were two people on my shit list at the end of this book, and okay. that's the only two people Alina really had, hence my really? last answer about who I read a letter to. Not only did I yeah. feel like she needed a friend, I also felt like the friends she had were not really doing her justice. I think last time we were talking about this, Caitlin, I was like... Caitlin, you need to be the redhead for Alina that she needs, yeah. that she deserves. Because uh, Jenya just wasn't doing it for me um, in this book. Um, you'll come to understand why she chooses the path she does, um, but it does hurt that she withheld Mal's letters from Alina. Um, it really threw a wrench in the gears of their friendship and their romance. And uh, when you actually get to read Mal's letters, because they're at the end of the book, it makes you even more angry because they're so sweet and sad. And it's like, it looks like, it looks like the equivalent of like you writing like a really nice, long, loving text to somebody and them like leaving you on red. Um, <laughs> so I was like, come on, Jenya, like, that's not cool. Like she, uh, she, uh, she cock blocked her. Can I say that? I, d- I did. We can. Yeah. We'll, 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 <laughs> we can say that. We'll, we'll, uh, filter it out later. Um, no, I won't. It's just so shady. <laughs> it's just so shady. <laughs> We're going to, if, if we had any opportunity uh, to get brand deals, we just lost it there. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was my one. And then I had, the other was Mel. I'm sorry, Caitlin. Because um, he, he just like set a low bar for me in this book for teen boy love interests. Um, and like later on, if you read the other books, which I really recommend you do. He totally makes up for it. He ends up being a real sweetheart. And in the show, I feel like many have said he's a real sweetheart. Um, but 
when I was first reading this book over the summer, I was, it was like the first romance book I'd read in a long time. And I remember reading it kind of think of it, thinking of it from the perspective of my love interest in life, which is my partner, Fishwas. So the whole book, I was thinking about it if we were these characters and the thought of Vishwas treating me the way that Mal treats Alina for like the majority, <laughs> like I, I would cry. I would cry. Like I love, I love that Mal goes and, and ultimately seeks the stag for her. But I can tell you for a fact that Vishwas would not just find the stag, he would come back with the stag and he'd also bring like a lemon meringue pie that he made like homemade for me and like roses and some bath bombs and some other things that I like. And I'm just saying, I feel like Mel should have done that. <laughs> I think Mel absolutely should have brought a lemon meringue pie yeah. to Alina. <laughs> and this is why, actually, I hate him. I, <laughs> I couldn't yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you you convinced me with that one line. No, yeah, I mean he wasn't the greatest. We know this. Yeah, I still defend him. Also, him. the darkling, but like for unrelated reasons. I didn't add this in my notes, but I was just thinking about it and like, who even was that guy? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Why was he here? Yeah. Just to make Alina suffer. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I want. Literally. Yeah. Like, no, toxic. How about you? Anyway. <laughs> um, the apparat. Next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I hate that guy. Yeah. Like, Darkling, he has his issues. Jenya and Mal deservedly are on the shit list. Mm-hmm. Totally get it. But the apparat is on a whole other level. He's skeevy. Like, he's skeevy. Every time he's on the page, he makes my skin crawl. Alina, men- like, describes him, like, smelling like graveyards. <laughs> That's a no for me, dog. I, no, he's gross and I hate him. And even with, as as his character goes on in the books, I continue to hate him more. So he would, without question, and for legal reasons, this is a joke, I would use the cut on him. Yeah, Caitlin, on the Venn diagram of like people that are allowed to smell like a graveyard, it's like <laughs> there's one that's like, there's one box that's like Marticia Adams and uh, oh. Gomez Adams, and the other yeah. is the the apparat, but then like they're not connected at all because like <laughs> I was gonna say who would be in the middle of that? He's not allowed to smell. I don't know who's in the middle of that. That maybe that's not the visual I was trying to create, but you get the gist. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> Woof. Anyway, I just I just like that Morticia and Gomez Adams are allowed to smell like a graveyard. They <laughs> like, are. They literally live in a graveyard. They have a like. There's a graveyard in their backyard. Like I feel like they deserve. No, it. but it completely makes sense. They completely deserve to smell like a graveyard and make it smell good. They, I think they, they would. I think their graveyard smells good. I think their graveyard yeah. smells good. It smells like really good corpses. <laughs> like. Like the, the real good, really cars. good. Yeah, they find them. They find them fresh. They go to like the local organic flower shops. They're at Whole Foods. They're they're getting their, they're at Wegmans. They're getting their corpses fresh. Um, but I cannot say the same for the Abrad. He's getting that shit off Amazon.com. Like he's getting those Shein corpses. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind um i feel like i have to stop saying that I should change the subject because it's not working anymore um 
<laughs> On a scale of one to five wax of Bagra's cane, what would you rate this book, Caitlin? I would rate... I very much want to give this a five out of five, but that's just the me being very biased about it. Oh, no. But critically, I will give this a four out of five because, yes, there are things that could be a little bit better. Uh-huh. However... This book has my whole heart, and I adore it. So, four out of five, wax of Bagra's cane for me. How did you rate? Well, I mean, you should give it a I'm five a- anyway. Like, okay, you changed my mind. It's five. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, back. sometimes I'm like, I really need to think critically about the things that I love. No. I'm like, yeah, ten out of ten. This is perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, like, yeah, um, but so. yeah, I agree with you. But also, it's like. <laughs> But also, it's a five out of five. Who's gonna? Who is going to come at? Like, who's gonna come for you for rating this five out of five? I would like to talk to them. I just want to talk. <laughs> I don't know, but if I find out, there's gonna be like a whole Twitter account that's like Caitlin Mori rated Shadow Boat five out of five, despite the, despite the fact that I hate some work as a book. Like, they come for me every time I give uh, something five out like, of five. Like, what that book? No, yeah, no, um, <laughs> not that book. Yeah, five out of five. I love this book. I adore it. Um, can't recommend it enough. <laughs> read it, read it for Caitlin. Explicitly read it so you can talk about it with Caitlin. Yeah, if I haven't made you read it already, please read it. Yes, for yes. Me. If you have, if you are one of the two people in the world that have not yet been told <laughs> to read it from the mouth By me of Caitlin, specifically. yeah. <laughs> All right, how many wax of Bagus Cane do you give Shadow and Bone? Uh, I actually said four, um, but that's because I'm a very negative person. Um, <laughs> No, it's I, I really love that. It's a really nice fantasy series. I think I can only give fives to things that make me just go batshit insane. Um, mm-hmm. Which, uh, there's a book coming up uh, way yeah. down the line from here now that we'll be talking a lot about that I have a lot to say about Correct. and I love very much. Um, so stay tuned See, that's for why that. I, but, yeah, I feel like I have to save the five out of fives for the really special ones. But This is a this special really one for you, yeah. One. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I took, the, I took a point away because... Uh, the apparat has he gets um he's got some low quality corpses in his graveyard. He gets his corpses at she. Not interested in that. Um, so his corpses keep coming with tags on them and like the zippers messed up and like it <laughs> smells bad, but like in a bad way because it's been kept in storage for it so smells- long in a warehouse and. What did you get out of Shadow and Bone? Oh, well, the Abrat smells like corpses, and he does not get his supply from a good place. There's, like, a corpse, there's, like, a corpse, like, listing on, like, Shein, and the rating is, like, there was a stain on my corpse when it came in the mail. I didn't like this. <laughs> the Abrat's, like, uh, five out of five. What are you talking about? <laughs> the Abrat's, like, this corpse He's is so He's got a Twitter good. account. <laughs> I love these corpses so much. They're so good. I especially love making myself smell like them. <laughs> Calvin Corpse. Calvin Corpse! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thanks for listening to our discussion of Shadow and Bone. Tune in next time when we get forcibly taken from our homes and transported into the world of fairy when we discuss The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. Hmm, I wonder if we'll like that book. Who's to say? (laughs)